Welcome to Investment Matters, the Newton Investment Podcast. I'm Matt Goodburn from the Investment Communications team, and today I'm joined by Therese Nicholson, who's our Global Head of Sustainable Investment. Therese, welcome. Thank you very much. Um, today we're going to talk about climate change, a subject that we talk about quite a bit here, obviously, like most people do. But in particular, we're going to look at the issue of achieving net zero carbon emissions, which is something that's been taking up a lot of our time recently. Um, so, Therese, I'm going to start really by asking you to set the scene. Um, mm. Why is the issue right now um, about addressing climate change so urgent? Well, it's, it's urgent because we have a window of opportunity over the next decade or so to really make a dent in the trajectory that we're facing. With the current policies that we have pledged to around the world through different governments, etc., uh, we are heading towards something along the lines of 2.5 or 2.9 degrees uh, warming. And if we add on top of that pledges and other initiative, it takes it down to somewhere above two degrees. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it has quite severe implications for many of our systems um, around the world, biophysical systems, etc., that in turn feeds in to uh, the economies which depend on all of this. So um, what we do over the next two decades or so will really determine uh, how we turn this around or, or, or make sure that we stay away from some of the worst uh, warming effects that we might be facing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've I, I guess the path we're currently on was sort of framed by the Paris Agreement in 2015, which many governments signed up to. And more recently, we've had COP26, haven't we, in Glasgow last November. Um, where do you feel we are? In, I mean, we've seen a lot of pledges, and obviously you've said at the moment they're insufficient. Um, are we still seeing a lack of detail then from, from sort of governments and uh, at company level about actually physically tackling these, um, these needs to reduce emissions? Yeah, so n th there's no doubt that the international collaboration around this has improved over the COPs over the years. And um, at COP26, we saw some positive developments. There was more detail around addressing methane emissions. There was more language around phasing down coal. And there was was an increased focus on the uh, investment industry as well and the role that that will play. Um, there are still a lot of detail or, or um, well details around the plans to deal with certain problems are quite difficult to solve for. Yeah. One of which of course is the emerging market issue. There has for example been a pledge for a couple of years to ensure that there is a fund to help finance uh, or support emerging markets to adapt and and respond to some of the worst effects from climate change. That hasn't even come close to delivering on what it needs to. So we partially have that failure or, or lack of delivery I would say. I think the other thing as well is that um, the, the details of the plans by governments still has to be evidence that they, that they can be delivered on and governments around the world are, are lacking you know, the money to deliver on this. And also we face geopolitical developments to sort of throw things off track. Of course, as we've seen uh, this year with, with the Russia-Ukraine uh, conflict, etc. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you mentioned their emerging markets. Um, the context being, I suppose, that it's it feels like a lot of pressure is being put on emerging markets 
um, but they haven't been the, the main culprits so far, have they, historically, but they're going to face, as you say, some of the worst impacts over the, the coming years. Can you just sort of set that context for us about the historic context and then where, where what's going to happen to emerging yeah. markets going forward? No, it's, it's, it's a very good question and, and I think it's important to, to remind ourselves of why the emerging market is such an important um, conundrum. It's, it's basically going back to the fact that, you know, their development phase is, of course, a lot later than the developed world and um, we've already had two generations in the developed world to start moving away from or peak away from the energy system that we have and we're now asking emerging markets to do the same in response to climate change in one generation which is a very big ask when they are in the earlier stages of their development and is facing a lot of issues in terms of ensuring that their populations gets out of poverty and, and sort of has a, has a decent living standard. Um, so not only will they face uh, the, the main brunt of the implications of climate change, it's also where most of the emissions will come from going forward. We're looking at somewhere between 85 to 90 percent of future emissions coming from emerging markets, which is why they cannot be left behind they have to be supported financially in, in, in all different uh, ways and, and, and instruments. And um, that's where we have to play an important role as institutional, as international investors, to make sure that we don't sort of seek decarbonisation by uh, leaving emerging markets behind, because we will not solve this issue if we don't, without working together with emerging markets. Sure, absolutely. So, as you say, I, I guess important, as you say, to bring them along on the journey, and which brings us to the idea that we, we need to continue engaging with them. I think that brings us really to, sort of brings it closer to sort of Newton's thinking and the pledges that we're making, and, and a focus really on, you know, real, real world decarbonisation, which obviously would include working heavily with those emerging markets as, as heavy emitters. So, could you just talk us through our, you know, our views on real world decarbonisation um, over artificial portfolio decarbonisation. Can you explain mm. to us what that means and why that's the approach that we're we're choosing to follow? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it may sound as as a complete common sense that, of course, it has to be real world decarbonisation. But the reality is, is that there are many ways that you can articulate or translate what you're doing to around climate change, uh, and particularly by the investment industry. And we have to be careful to make a difference between the changes to a portfolio in terms of its carbon footprint versus the changes we're making through investing in a portfolio through the ultimate uh, climate decarbonisation of, of carbon. So what, by, what do I mean by that? I mean that if you divest from one stock which is carbon intense to a stock that is less carbon intense, you are not creating a real-world decarbonisation impact. You are just changing that exposure in your portfolio and therefore giving a, a, a different footprint, if you like. It is different from uh, having investments whereby you understand the transition path of that that company and track the real world decarbonisation and present an aggregate picture from that perspective. And the reason that's so important is that we're actually up against um, some, some you know, important milestones that we have to show authenticity against in terms of what we're actually achieving. If we focus too much on portfolio 
purification or portfolio decarbonization, it may give the impression that the industry is achieving a lot because all of these portfolios are, are, are demonstrating, you know, decreasing carbon intensity over time. But to, to the point on, on real-world decarbonization, that is very different. So I would be much more um, inclined to encourage portfolios that invest for decarbonization, perhaps don't demonstrate as, as an impressive uh, and, uh, carbon intensity um, reduction, mm -hmm. but it is actually rooted in a shift in the real world. And, and that differentiation will be very, very important. And I think for the trust in general in our industry and what we have set out to, to try and achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think we've seen sort of some of our pe peers discuss this 7% sort of this linear reduction, which I guess plays into what you were saying, doesn't it? You could, you could divest from emerging markets or invest in certain types of uh, sector and, and achieve quite a what looks like a meaningful reduction in carbon intensity on paper. That, that, that's say. exactly it. And, and again, it brings up the challenge around emerging markets. That is one way to achieve portfolio decarbonisation uh, or, or, or um, carbon intensity reduction. Uh, another way to do it is is also to shift into asset light industries, so uh, tech companies, etc. That's another common way to perhaps um, do that. And, uh, and if you flip that around as well, because the focus at the moment is on scope one and two emissions, and it's 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 stripping out that dimes, uh, downstream uh, footprint. Really, um, you will have a, um, a, a the opposite effect if you go out and invest in, for example, a clean utility, which seems quite counterintuitive. Because what we really need to do is is two things. We do need to invest much more in uh, solution providers. Uh, and the second thing, of course, is that we do need to invest in those companies and, and in regions that are doing um, the most to ensure that this transition or, or the transition paths effectively help us deliver on decarbonisation. Yeah, sure. And on that, I think that's a, that's a key message, isn't it, really, that we're talking about credible, clear and credible plans that actually show effective ways of reducing carbon emissions over time. I mean, to that end, perhaps you could sort of talk to uh, Newton's approach, and obviously we've made some uh, pledges, or we, we've, made, we've talked about some aims we have about some milestones that we're putting in place to get to net zero emissions. Could you just talk perhaps about some of those? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so Newton joined the Net Zero Asset Manager initiative uh, last year. It's, it's been committed to, to climate change through its integrated research and its thematic work for many, many years. Um, but obviously this specifically um, is a pledge whereby what we want to do is ensure that all of our financed emissions or all of the companies that we invest in um, are, are aligning itself with, with the Paris Agreement over time. Um, there are a couple of different methodologies that investors can um, can choose from and, and we thought of each and every one of those quite carefully and we strongly felt that the um, most sensible approach for us is to think about uh, ensuring that all of our financed emissions are covered by credible transition plans, which in this case means uh, applying the, applying the science-based target initiative 
as a methodology um, and, and sort of tracking how our companies are signing up to that and engaging, of course, uh, around that. Now, you mentioned credible transition plans, and I, I think I did the same. And what we mean by that is that it's important that we don't just invest in companies that have plans that make scientific sense. As investors, we need to make sure as well that we understand how they are going to finance this. Yeah. You know, what will this mean for the, the capital management policy and plans that we've already invested into? And then uh, secondly, equally important, does uh, the company have the right leadership to actually effectively deliver on this? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I suppose it brings again the, the point, the idea that engagement is key, isn't it? Our engagement as active investors with with those companies. I mean, is that something that do you you spend a lot of time thinking about as a as a responsible, sustainable investment head? It's uh, engagement is the name of the game, you know again or even more so over the next decade and not least because we are now asking clients to you know trust us this is the right thing to do it is not the right way um, to try and achieve um, climate uh, or to address climate change just by divesting we need to stay invested and we need to engage now the important thing i think is to ensure that we spend the time uh, upfront and prioritize the most challenging companies. So if you think about um, the fact that there's actually a fairly small concentration of stocks globally, quite frankly, that contribute to the vast amount of um, carbon emissions that we're trying to deal with. That is also the same um, on, on, uh, for an asset manager. Um, and f for us, for example, we have a, a small number of stocks that it's, it make up up to about 50% of our emissions. So from an engagement prioritization perspective, it's really important that we start working with those companies. We have been engaging with them for a long time, but I think what's shifted with this new net zero initiative is that it's less a conversation about where they've come from and uh, more to where they're going. So it's less looking at backward looking carbon data and what does that footprint look like at this point in time. It's about the, the direction of travel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I suppose that's the, you've sort of described the science based targets initiative which I think is part of the net zero asset managers campaign is that right it's one of the methodologies that uh, managers can choose to align uh, itself with yes yeah. okay well I suppose um, we'd be lying if we said that obviously all these things that we're trying to do and the, and the systemic nature of the problem itself that if we said it was easy we know it's not going to be an easy thing there's a number of things that we know need to happen uh, and it's something that's going to involve a lot of different elements of society from government level through to companies to individuals can you sort of talk about some of the the things that we need to happen whether it's uh, you know through regulation but also the parts that companies can play and i think you talk quite a lot about ab advocacy and, and what needs to happen there what we need what we can do as a company to mm. to help push things along well th th there are many things that that has happened which which is really quite helpful to where we are today but there's much more that we need as well to make sense of all of this i mean what would be really quite helpful for the investment team is for the investment industry is if we can get regulation around carbon data 
to ensure that we just have access to the footprints of companies so we can do accurate modeling. At the moment, we have to actually make assumptions for a lot of companies in terms of what their footprint is. That would be incredibly helpful. Um, and like you say, it's, it's not just a matter for our industry to get involved with this or public or private capital it's 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 really for all of it so I, I i usually say that it's not a matter of the a or b or c it's a b and c and everything else um to to, to throw at this so disclosure is very important um obviously other types of regulations that would encourage or perhaps help drive a more accurate carbon price in the market whether in, whether that's in the voluntary or the formal carbon market that would be helpful as well and uh, I, I think some of it is down to regulation, but I think the other way as well, the other thing that's also equally important to address this is to engage with our clients to ensure we make the right decisions from an investment perspective so that we're not counterproductive to our ultimate aim. And that is that point that you raised earlier about ensuring that we don't just divest for portfolio decarbonization's sake. That, that will not help us. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you talked about the need for the government regulation within the company, though, I, I guess there's this sense perhaps that, you know, in the past, perhaps more so than now, and things may be changing, perhaps ESG analysts or responsible investment teams have been working almost like silos on, on these very big problems. And, and as you say, the data is patchy, perhaps, and it's, it's getting better. What do you think needs to change, you know, within companies in terms of how they tackle this? Yeah, but it, it raises a good uh, point. I think that's absolutely right. Most of the climate work, if you like, has traditionally been done by ESG teams, responsible investment teams, etc. This is an investment issue in its broadest sense. And for that reason, the response to it doesn't just sort of rest with what the RI team or ESG teams need to do. It needs to sit in the wider organization. So the way we think about it at Newton is that we think that the risk team has a real role to play here in terms of understanding it from that perspective and how we how we track and monitor and translate and respond to risk, um, in this case, climate risk. Um, also the investment teams, hugely critical that we develop uh, tools and systems to help us interpret um, the, the, the climate risks of portfolios and individual companies and put those tools in front of the investment teams so that they can see and appreciate and account for what this risk looks like for companies. I think going forward in terms of making the assessments on transition plans on individual companies for portfolios, because we're going to have to do this across the board to continue tracking our progress, um, I think it will be a, a, a two-way effort. Um, I can see a real role by the RI team to help translate whether the plans are, um, you know, are scientifically aligned. In the case that they're not signed off by the SBTI, we might need to use an internal model to sort of do something comparatively um, because of the fact that there might be emerging market companies that 
won't sign up to science-based target, for example. But that's just the first leg. So yeah. you would then expect your investment team to look at that and think about, well, you know, how will this company actually pay for this? Where will this money come from? And what sort of, um, what, what will it do to its growth opportunities, etc.? And does this remain a good investment? So it has to be a collaboration going forward. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time supporting our investment teams on this, upskilling them to, to a degree as well about how to think about ES, uh, cl climate data and, and how to think about um, long-term value creation in, in a world where you, you, you have an increased impact from climate change. Well, Therese, um, it's been great talking to you today. Clearly, we're only at the start of this journey and uh, we wish you and the team luck and obviously we'll be following the progress along the way. So I'm sure we'll, we'll be in touch and we'll talk again to you very soon uh, on this topic. So, so thanks again for joining us and uh, we'll be back with you again very soon. Newton Investment Management North America LLC, NIMNA. NIMNA, or the firm, is a registered investment advisor and subsidiary of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation, BNY Mellon. The firm was established in 2021, comprised of equity and multi-asset teams from an affiliate, Mellon Investments Corporation. The firm is part of the group of affiliated companies that individually or collectively provide investment advisory services under the brand of Newton or Newton Investment Management, Newton. Newton currently includes NIMNA and Newton Investment Management Limited, NIM. Any statements of opinion constitute only current opinions of NIMNA, which are subject to change and which NIMNA does not undertake to update. This publication, or any portion thereof, may not be copied or distributed without prior written approval from the firm. Statements are correct as of the date of the material only. This document may not be used for the purpose of an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction or in any circumstance in which such offer or solicitation is unlawful or not authorised. The information in this publication is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific investment advice or recommendations for any purchase or sale of any specific security. Some information contained herein has been obtained from third-party sources that are believed to be reliable, but the information has not been independently verified by NIMNA. NIMNA makes no representations as to the accuracy or the completeness of such information. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee returns or eliminate risk in any market environment, and past performance is no indication of future performance. The indices referred to herein are used for comparative and informational purposes only and have been selected because they are generally considered to be representative of certain markets. Comparisons to indices as benchmarks have limitations because indices have volatility and other material characteristics that may differ from the portfolio, investment or hedge to which they are compared. The providers of the indices referred to herein are not affiliated with NIMNA, do not endorse, sponsor, sell or promote the investment strategies or products mentioned herein, and they make no representation regarding the advisability of investing in the products and strategies described herein. Any forward-looking statements speak only as of the date they are made and are subject to numerous assumptions, risks and uncertainties which change over time. 
actual results could differ materially from those anticipated in forward-looking statements. If distributed in Canada, this podcast is issued either by NIM, which is availing itself of the International Advisor Exemption, IAE, in the following Canadian provinces, Alberta, British Columbia, Ontario and Quebec. The IAE is in compliance with the National Instrument 31-103, Registration Requirements, Exemptions and Ongoing Registrant Obligations, or NIMNA, which is availing itself of the IAE in the following Canadian provinces, Alberta, British Columbia and Manitoba. The IAE is in compliance with the National Instrument 31-103, Registration Requirements, Exemptions and Ongoing Registrant Obligations.